At this time, let us turn in the back of our hymnals to the Catechism to read together our Confession of Faith, looking at Lord's Day 31, questions and answers 83 through 85 in the Catechism this morning. As we look at the keys, or the office of the keys, as God gives them to his church. So let us read together our confession of faith. First of all, question and answer 83. What is the office of the keys? The preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the holy gospel? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, it is proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers, one and all, that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they are not converted. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge men both in this life and in that which is to come. How is the kingdom of heaven shut and opened by Christian discipline? In this way, that, according to the command of Christ, If any under the Christian name show themselves unsound either in doctrine or in life, and after several brotherly admonitions do not turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church or to its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear them also, are by them denied the holy sacraments, and thereby excluded from the Christian communion, and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. And so, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at the office of the keys, we want to reference back to question and answer 82 in the Catechism, that are they then to be admitted to the supper who show themselves by their confession in life to be unbelieving and ungodly? If there are people who show themselves by their doctrine, what they believe and confess, or by their life, how they live, to be unbelieving and ungodly, what's to happen? And God says that His covenant of God is profaned and his wrath provoked against the whole congregation. Therefore, the Christian church is bound according to the order of Christ and his apostles to exclude such person by the office of the keys until they amend their lives. The sacraments, the the signs and seals of membership and, and of God's forgiveness for people are to be denied to those who show by their doctrine in life that they are unbelieving and ungodly. So what is this office of the keys? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline. I want to read from Matthew 16, 
Because it's important for us to understand where this comes from, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now it's interesting, people have taken this and said, Peter's the rock. But we have to understand that Peter is not the rock that's being spoken of. It is the confessing church. Peter has just said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, Jesus says, on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus is not saying that Peter has the keys of the kingdom, as some churches do. He is saying that the church, when it is confessing the true confession, is used by God to bind and loose souls by allowing them to join the church and by denying membership to the church. This power is not given to Peter and therefore some human being, because a few verses later, When Peter objected to Jesus going to the cross and offering himself for us, Jesus calls him Satan. We have to understand that. We have to make that distinction. And there are those who say it's up to the church to forgive sins. I'm sorry. That's not what it says here. How do we... There's this element of worship that some churches use called absolution. Or... or, um, where they say, your sins are forgiven you. Well, we can say that in relation to our faith. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, your sins are forgiven you. But I don't have that, and no pastor, no priest on this earth has that right. The only place that right stands, as, as the Jews accuse Jesus, is only God can forgive sins. That's not for some human being on this earth. And so then we ask the question, how is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? The Gospel is preached and proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers one and all. Now, people have confused what the Gospel is and how we are to present the Gospel to people. The the Gospel is presented saying... Jesus loves you. Well, I'm sorry, I can't say that to an unbeliever. You stand before God in judgment. But we can say to the unbeliever, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from eternal judgment. There's a big difference there. You hear that. Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. Well, I'm sorry, that's not biblical to say that to every human being. Because there are thousands and millions of people. In fact, Jesus said the, bro- the road is broad that leads to destruction. And so the preaching of the gospel is two sided. Notice that. That 
to believers one and all that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them. Going back to that point I just said, believing the gospel, not some declaration by some human being, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. But as well in the preaching of the gospel, there is the contrary to all unbelievers and hypocrites. The wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they're not converted. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. For we are of to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? There's not a pastor on earth who's sufficient for this. And yet God uses miserable sinners, broken people, to be that aroma of life and of death. And there are those who hear the preaching of the gospel and can't stand it. And on the other hand, there are those who hear the preaching of the gospel and will give up all of their lives. To hear that preaching and that sweet and wonderful savor of life unto life. We have to understand that this is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut. And then as we think about that as well, we have church membership. That those who come are to join with the church. To become members of the church. And brothers and sisters, as I consider my own life, one of the greatest things, gifts God has given to me through the church is that they have said, yes, your confession is the confession of a true Christian. Your life is the life of a true Christian. That is a great statement, an awesome statement by the church that each one of us should never forget how beautiful that is. And on the other hand, then we have Christian discipline. One of the marks of the true church, according to the Belgic Confession, the kingdom of heaven is shut and opened by Christian discipline. According to the command of Christ, if any under the Christian name show themselves unsound either in doctrine or in life, And after several brotherly admonitions do not turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church and to its proper officers. And if they neglect to hear them also, are by them denied the holy sacraments and therefore excluded from the Christian communion and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. So when we have people who are unsound either in doctrine or in life, notice after several brotherly admonitions, I want to read for us again, Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Moreover, if your, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. 
But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So notice the progression. And I think too often when we think about discipline, we think discipline happens when it gets to the spiritual council. Well, Christian discipline ought to be far more common than that. And brothers and sisters, if we are going to be biblical about this, it means we can't get our hackles up like our culture does as soon as anybody says to you, hey, that might not be biblical. I have to realize that. Our culture, as soon as anybody complains about something, oh, you don't love me, you're evil, you're mean. You're terrible, actually, of course, because being against someone is terrible. No, it's loving. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The first step is between one-on-one. Not the whole church. Let's get out the email and or text it or whatever it is to the whole congregation. No. It's between me and you. And then, take two or three witnesses, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Christian discipline starts between two people. If there is that great of a problem, then You take two or three witnesses. And then finally the church gets involved. Sadly, we don't do these first two steps very often. Then if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. How do we deal with heathen and tax collectors? We try to call them to Christ, don't we? But brothers and sisters, understand that The reason for discipline is never the heinousness of the sin. The reason for discipline is unrepentance. Notice, if you go one-on-one and he hears you, which I think also means he agrees, you've gained your brother. That's the end of the matter. That's the off-ramp. Again, if two or three witnesses convince then it's over. The church doesn't have to deal with it. We have dealt with it as individual members of the church. They are complained of to the church or its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear them also, they are by them denied the sacraments and excluded from the Christian communion. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians, as he says, chapter 5, For indeed I, as absent from the body but present in the Spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you you are gathered together along with my Spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipline is saying to someone, this is an eternal matter. 
this is a soul matter. And when we excommunicate someone, it's delivering them to Satan for the distraction of the flesh so that they will have time on this earth to consider the eternal danger that they are in. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire with discipline is really twofold. First of all, the salvation of the soul of that person, and also to show that these sorts of sins, especially unrepentance, is eternally dangerous. And that we love people by going through these steps. It is not loving for a parent not to discipline a child. Our culture says that it is. But we all know well that it is not loving that child. It is actually indifference and hatred to the child. And that that child will not be guided without discipline, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. And brothers and sisters, when that child runs out in the street, determinedly, you spank their butt, right? Because that child is doing something dangerous to themselves. And the same is true of church discipline. It is not hatred. It is love. It's saying, this is eternally dangerous to your soul. And brothers and sisters, it is love for a brother or a sister that would cause the church to do these things. As we know, as I've said numerous times, the church is not the gathering of perfect people. The church is the gathering of repentant sinners. We have to understand that. It's not because someone failed and sinned that we would desire to have church discipline. It is unrepentance in that sin. And it is calling such a person back to Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at the keys of the kingdom and notice what Jesus ends that passage. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We have to understand that when the church is being obedient to Christ, notice who commands this. This is not somebody else in the Bible who's saying this. It's Jesus himself, our Savior, saying church discipline is necessary. And furthermore, notice what he says Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That when the church is obedient to Christ and applies discipline correctly, this is not just an earthly situation. That this is a demonstration of what Christ is doing. That He is binding that soul. And that this is, I I, I can't, I'd rather be put to death Let's just be honest. And be excommunicated from God's church. 
Because dying as a Christian, I've got eternal hope. But if God's church judges that I am unrepentant in my sin, that's eternal. And so, as I said earlier, it's such an awesome gift when the church looks at my life and my confession and says, this is a Christian. It's such an awesome gift. And on the other hand, brothers and sisters, there is nothing more horrific to me, I would say, than to be excommunicated from God's church. Truly and rightly, of course, but... That the church would say, no, your life and your confession is a false life, a life of sin, of unrepentance. Because that, if done correctly before God, is saying about that person, you're on your way to hell. These are not things we like to talk about. But brothers and sisters, notice what we said about opening and shutting the, um, the keys of the kingdom with the gospel. The gospel opens that kingdom to us and shuts it against those who will not believe. And discipline is used by God to shut the door when people will not repent of sins. And yet its purpose, finally, one of its main purposes is to call that person back to Christ. If they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and His church. And that is one of the main goals. As I said, there is a time to say to the whole church, as Solomon writes in the Proverbs, strike the scoffer and the fool will, I can't remember the exact terminology, but will stop going that way. There is a time for a deterrent level, too, of certain situations. Always not because of the heinousness of some sin, but because of unrepentance in sin. Amen.